0: I cannot tell you how much I look forward to us all getting together. It just, you know, the crazy thing is, is that for me, if it's a place I walk into and feel like I belong, you know, I mean, you know, these are we're brothers. We, you know, I look around and we had shared experience. I had a chance to meet John Isaac, who was, you know, I've heard about John for years, and just in a few minutes we started talking about. My father-in-law, my mother-in-law. And, you know, so we instantly had a connection. Um, You know, having Billy here again, I mean, how much fun is that? Um, But the thing I think I like the most when we get together is, is that I'm looking out over a room of masculinity the way God intended it you know, we are a tonic for the world just by being who we are. Um, we are learning and growing and becoming masculine the way God intended it in a world that has lost any sense of what masculinity and femininity is. We really are a prophetic people just by being who we are. And, uh, Boy, I, you know, I just appreciate that. Um, it's good. I uh, I feel like God just wanted me to teach this morning. And I know it seems presumptuous to teach a bunch of teachers. Um, but I've never worried about being presumptuous. Uh, that's, uh, and even when Dennis uh, stood up and shared all my scriptures and... Uh, which, as you know, we were separated at birth, so, uh, you know. it's uh, um, Rebooting, what a great title. Uh, that's our theme this year, right? Rebooting. Oh, Rowdy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well... <laughs> I thought it was rebooting. Just turn it off, count to ten, turn it back on. God bless you. Uh, this it's rebooting isn't hard. It's, it's very, very easy to do. Uh, rerouting. Okay, well, we'll try a different tack. Thank you, sir. You all know Jim, don't you? Hi, Jim. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 9. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Um, I, I work with some guys, and, and one of them is, was promoted to become the, the deputy director. And uh, when they talk about him, they used a phrase that really struck me. It said, uh, uh, said, he was the best of all of us. And, you know, this guy really is sharp. You know, he has like a photographic memory of, of, of things that have happened. And, you know, he's a great resource. But they said he was the best of us all. And when I think about the Apostle Paul, he was the best of them all. He was fiercely dedicated to the God of Israel. He loved the history of, He loved the covenants, the temple, the purity of the people of God. He loved the covenant-keeping, covenant-making God of Israel. He was zealous for God. And I don't think he was on anybody's short list of probable conversions in that particular day. We pick up on Paul, you know, where, where Dennis did in, in Acts one It said, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was zealous for God. And as he was traveling... It happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. And a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men traveled with him, stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. I like the King James, it says, when he, when he, says, I'm he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Why are you kicking against my prodding? Why are you kicking against my proddings? God had been after him, but he wasn't listening. Now, Paul, later in Galatians, he describes what happened when Ananias came. Now, you know, Ananias needed a little prodding to go there, but but when Ananias showed up, he laid his hands on him, and something happened. Um, the Holy Spirit came on him. Um, he says this in Galatians 1. I love this phrase. It just, just grabbed me, this, this whole phrase. When God, Galatians 1, when God was pleased to reveal his son in me. I love that phrase. This happened to Saul when God was pleased to reveal his son in me him the the light flashed on the outside the revelation happened on the inside and it was god's initiative it was god's doing when it pleased him when when it was what he wanted this whole rerouting thing makes no sense Unless we're rooted in the fact that it's God who is initiating and that the God who is initiating it is the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's God active in the world. But my first point is all rerouting is for the purpose of God revealing another facet of himself to us. All rerouting is for the purpose of God revealing another facet of himself to us. Now, how many of you can say amen in your own experience? Every time God has rerouted you, haven't you seen him reveal another dimension of who he is and and of what happened? Now, this Saul, this the Pharisee, He was an exceptional man, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, blameless according to the law, steeped in holy scripture, fiercely devoted to the God of Israel. And now he's in Damascus, blind from a glance at the glory of the Son of God. He never expected it. He never saw it coming, certainly wasn't looking for it. And along comes Ananias, and he lays his hands on him, and Paul describes, again, in Galatians 1, he says, God was pleased to reveal his son in me. But in Romans 5 and in Romans 8, God, Paul tells another dimension of what happened to him. Now, you would think, well, no, Paul wasn't describing his conversion. He was describing other things. He, it was a theological statement. I mean, if you think theology in the Bible, you always think Romans, right? Um, But (laughs) here's how I read theology. Theology, Paul's theology grew out of his existential relationship with God. Now, I said it that way for Paul, and now I'm going to say it for the rest of us. Paul's theology grew out of what he experienced of God. Smaller words, shorter sentences. But, I, you know, Paul taught what he knew. His, it, was, it was his experience of God. And so here's how he described it. In Romans 5, he said, The Holy Spirit came rushing in, invaded my life, and poured the love of God out into my heart. And in Romans 8, and this is, this is what altered Paul. In Romans 8, Paul said, the spirit of sonship came on me. Now this, he loved the God of Israel. He loved Jehovah. He loved Adonai. He loved the Lord of hosts. He loved the Lord my healer. He loved the Lord revealed in Exodus. He loved that God. But the spirit of sonship came on him. And it says he erupted with Abba, Father. He had never called God Father before. God flashed He saw the glory of the God that he loved in the face of Jesus Christ. It altered him. Rerouting is about being altered by an understanding, uh, a fresh understanding of God. Well, then he had some time in Damascus and... Uh, but then he came back to Jerusalem. Now think about this. The Pharisee of the Pharisee, the most zealous man in Jerusalem, the guy who was the he was the head of his class. Um, he was the perfect man. I mean, think about it. This would have been the perfect man to bring back into Jerusalem. I mean, those were his peeps. You know, he could he could get into the into the party. He knew everybody. He knew all the bigwigs. He knew the high priests. He knew their names. This guy was perfectly suited to come back into Jerusalem. He he knew the temple. He knew the traditions. He knew the scripture. He was the perfect person to share the good news about Jesus with the leaders of Israel. He still loved the God of Israel fiercely and zealously, but now he loved the Son of God, Jesus Christ also. He really, by all accounts, was the perfect man to bring the gospel to the Jewish nation, right in the center of Jerusalem. So Acts 9.26 says, When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving freely about in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. I mean, he's, he's got it going. He's the man. He's the perfect instrument for what God, you know, obviously God was bringing him back into Jerusalem. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. It's a common theme for Paul. Uh, You know, you either loved him or hated him. Uh, And uh, when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him away to Tarsus. And like uh, Dennis said the other night, he was probably there 10, 10, 15 years. But I love this next verse. This tells you what life would have been like with Paul. In verse 31... The church, they sent Paul away, and the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. <laughs> Being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Now, some of you brothers say that's what happened when you hung around Bob Mumford two months, that it was peaceful because of who he was and what he brought. Paul was rerouted to nowhere. The second thing, my second point is, sure, God uses all things, but we can't forecast the future based on what seems to be our current trajectory. We cannot, let me say it again, we can't forecast the future based on what seems to be our current trajectory. Even if you're coach of the year, you know, (laughs) He, I mean, that just seemed obvious. Obvious. So then he sends Paul away, Saul, he sends him away to Tarsus for 10 years. Now, have you ever noticed that God seems to lack a sense of urgency in his dealings with us? He's not in a hurry. You know, we're all feeling urgent, you know, and we read all the stuff, all the times, you know, and, and we get stirred up. Oh, it's just, it's the times, and, and, and you know, we got to do something. You know, you were born for such a time of this, you need to do But God's not in a hurry. That, see, the timey thing that we're all about has a hard time grappling with the eternity thing that God's all about. And we talked about this last year. We were seized by eternity. And when God brings eternity into our midst, it's like, all right, I, I got this. You know, I, I love it. it act, or in Exodus 2, I think it says, and God heard the cries of Israel. And so he starts a process. And Moses is born. What was it? 40 years later? 80 years? I don't know how long it was, but God wasn't in it. Yeah, God heard it, but it was 40 years before God acted on that in a way that, that people could see it. Um so what was he doing he's sitting there in Tarsus he's working I imagine I think he's thinking I think he's working through what do you do now the God of Israel that you loved so much and were so zealous for has just given you the uh, Rosetta stone and suddenly you understand all of that the temple, it represents him. The sacrifice, it represents him. The priesthood represents him. The law, I mean, everything. Can you imagine the stuff firing off in his, I mean, the guy knew the Bible inside out. This stuff is just like ripping out of him and the, the things are coming, well what, well, what about the What does it mean? And you could see, I think God had to send him out there just to let all that stuff work its way down in and get settled in. And he's sitting in there, and he's thinking of all this. He's got all these great teachings. And maybe he taught a little bit, but you never hear about a big church in Tarsus. You know, he did not know what was going on. But Aslan was on the move. And uh, some guys who got got rerouted ended up in Antioch sharing Israel's Messiah with non-Israel people the Gentiles, and the Gentiles start to believe. And Barnabas, they send Barnabas up, and uh, he went up, and he saw that there were true, real, converted, saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-talking people serving Jesus, and they weren't Jews. Now that was a tough one. So if you have a group of Gentiles needing to know about God, needing to know where this train came from and where this train was going, God decides, I got a guy for this. How many times has something been gone on and God says, you know what, I got a guy for this. You know, uh, the Mideast Project. You know what, I got a guy for this. European prayer breakfast. I got a guy for this. Um, you know what? We need a guy on the radio that can answer questions. I got a guy for this. He does that so frequently. So he says, I got a guy for this. And so Paul, if you go over to Acts eleven nineteen, 19, it said, uh, then those who were scattered because of the persecution um, made their way to uh uh, Some men from, verse 20, 1120. Some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. And in verse 21, and the Lord was with them. A hand of the Lord was with them. A large number, believed, believe, turned to the Lord. They sent, Antio- they sent Barnabas, um, verse 21. And when he left, Tar- of 25, he left Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called little Christians in Antioch. So Paul gets activated. He's sent into the game. He's teaching Gentiles about the God of Israel revealed in the face of Christ. And he's rerouted again. And then you come into chapter 13, verse 1. Verse um, and there were in Antioch, the church that was there, prophets, teachers, Barnabas, and Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting... I got really convicted when I read this. I, I pray a lot. You know, I intercede a lot. Um... I share my heart and my soul with God a lot. But I need to confess to you guys, I don't just minister to the Lord just because he's God in the kind of way that that I think would be pleasing to him. You know, getting up in the morning, morning priesthood, Father, we lift up the sacrifice of praise to you. Stopping in the middle of the day, just worshiping God, functioning as a a royal priesthood, and just ministering to the Lord, just telling the Lord how good he is, reciting all the things that he's done, remembering well, um, worshiping, getting absorbed in who God is and the, the characteristics of God, So these men were doing that, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. And when they fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, sent them away, and they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. He is rerouted again. There's something in verse 2 that really stands out to me. Set apart Barnabas and Saul for me. The, uh, years ago, Paul taught, and I don't even remember when or where, but it really struck me in Philippians 3.12. In the King James, it says that I may apprehend that for which I was apprehended. Right? In uh, Ephesians 1, he says, In love, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons belonging the what god apprehended us for is first of all about himself and our purpose grows out of our relationship with him and after be apprehending that that you know what god wants us to do grows out of our our relationship with him set barnabas and saul apart for me Now, I got time to meddle, so I think I will here. But I think God is after us as a people to keep giving ourselves to Him, to recognize that we are, He said, I will be their God, they will be my people. My identity is not wrapped up in what I do what my function is what my ministry might be my identity is wrapped up in being his he says you know he holiness is not about not smoking and drinking holiness is about knowing that you're set apart for him and not in a way that says well you know I can't eat this and I don't watch that and I don't say this All that stuff grows out of an awareness in my soul, deep in me, that I belong to him. I am his. He is mine. That's crucial for us. We cannot continue to walk in the love and life of God unless we do it out of a deep, deep face-to-face Recognizing that God called us to himself. To himself. To be with us as sons. Sometimes I lay in bed at night and I picture us sitting at this gigantic table. The marriage feast of the Lamb. And knowing I absolutely belong here. It's the place I belong the most. It's here. Here my father, with his sons and daughters. And that's what I touch when we get together, when I said I feel like I belong. It's here at the table of the Lord. So point three is he calls us to his person before he calls us to his purposes. He calls us to his person before he calls us to his purposes. If we think his purposes or before his person, we may be merely using him for self-help. That's free. I'll just throw that out there. Um, then we come to that other great scripture that that Dennis talked about in uh, Acts chapter sixteen, verse six. And this is a this is a great passage. He says they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. It was not the devil. You know, you can rebuke it, you can fast and pray, but the Holy Spirit said no. Now, here's the thing you learn from Paul in Romans chapter 9 Paul had a settled conviction that God had every right to do whatever he wanted with him. You read Romans 9. The Creator has every right to say to his creation, do this, don't do that. The potter has every right to take that clay pot and say, you know what? Let's add some more water. I might just change this thing, you know? Clay pots are, are, are interesting. My, uh, my cousin was in the Army in the 70s, and he smoked a lot of weed. And uh, before he came back home, he sent up his, his favorite bong. He sent it home in a box to his mom. And Aunt Mary didn't know what it was, so she planted flowers in it. And uh, <laughs> I guess God can do whatever he wants. <laughs> if Aunt Mary can plant flowers in my cousin's bong, then I guess God has every right uh, to do what he wants with us. I remember Billy saying one time, I don't know how that fits, but it was just funny. So, you know, I'm stretching to make this fit, but it just struck me as we were talking. Oh, um. anyway verse 16 says they were forbidden to, by the Holy Spirit to speak the word have you ever had God say to you don't speak don't give you know I, there's, there are people homeless people I work downtown Columbus now there's homeless people on every corner and they're all asking you stuff you know and Every day I'm paying attention, and and a lot of days the Lord will say, hey, don't give anything. Um, (laughs) That's important for us to hear. Don't speak. Keep quiet. Um, Anyway, uh, verse 7, and after they came to Mysia and they were trying to go to Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. No. Now, forbid and permit this this is crucial. There's a lot of people today talking about love, and uh, um, and you know I I am I am captivated by the love of God, but love will turn into um, the most horrible thing if it's not rooted in the kingship, the authority of the kingdom, the fact that love is the command of my King you say well I don't know how to love in this situation it's my king's commandment and that one of the things in our spiritual heritage that I appreciate so much is the covenant and the kingdom the lordship the kingship of God the rulership of God the government of God it's precious and if we're walking under the government of God and we love because it's the first command of my king that's different than saying Oh, we just got to love everybody. You see signs in the church says, well, everybody's welcome. Well, yeah, you're welcome to come fall down on your face in front of Jesus. People say, well, you know, can a, can a lesbian uh, be a Christian? Absolutely. As long as, like anybody else, she recognizes the claims of Christ are higher than any prior claim. The identity of Christ is higher than any higher identity. Can a Democrat be a Christian? <laughs> I, I, I mean, if lawyers can get in, then, I, you know. and uh, the, Can a Republican, you know. You hear what I'm saying? If you can meet the commands of Christ. He forbid them. He didn't permit them. Verse 16 or verse 9 of Acts 16, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. God active knows how to activate you. God is not elusive. You don't have to run him down. You have to actively wait, as as the Lord spoke to us last night. But God got the word to him. He put put Peter in a trance, remember? Remember? You know, that upset a lot of people in the early charismatic days because we were battling with a lot of spiritual darkness kinds of things and the idea of a trance was just like, oh, this is just wrong. There has to be a better Bible word. He put him to sleep. No, he put him in a trance. And I think he did that so he, he couldn't move. And uh, I don't know, it's just my opinion. But. Now, here's an interesting thing here. Paul had a strategy and he had a certain way that he did things. Um, and, and we learned this from, from Brother Charles a long time ago. But never confuse vision with strategy. Vision, hold tightly, strategy, hold openly. Vision, you hold tightly, strategy, you hold. Because God can change your strategy. You know, He can change your, you know, uh, your tactics. But if we can let God reroute us, we can stay towards the vision, but go a different way if we hold the strategy more loosely and, um, and lightly. So I told you that Paul had a deep-seated conviction. The potter had every right to do whatever he wants with his creature. We are dealing with with God active. This is the thing I just kept feeling about this morning. Recognize that God is active. We get to participate in that. Recognize that Aslan is on the move, and we get to participate in that. We don't generate it. We don't make it happen. We get to participate in it. Now, I got time for one last word, and, and uh, please hear my heart on this Um, because I don't want to upset anybody. But in Acts 13.36, it said, David served the purpose of God in his own generation. Now, I just spent two days in training classes at work about managing a multi-generational workforce. And in this training, they stratified everybody in there, and they set everybody inadvertently, they set everybody against each other, you know. Well, you know, you millennials think like this, and you Gen Xers think like this, and, and you old baby boomers. You know, they're, saying, they're putting words in the mouth of each one of these groups. I know, you know, the millennials actually, what they want to say is, we wish you old guys would die and give up your space in the office. They said that. <laughs> And, and I saw this stratification going on. And then I started to think, and I hate it. I just, now I understand there's a difference. You know, um, I understand that, that there's some cultural things that are different. But I believe, and you, this is up for, for grabs, I believe that if you're alive, you are in this generation. The Holy Spirit is moving in this generation. And there's a prior generation, and it's not me. They're dead. (laughs) They're dead. The generation that's here now is a generation with the opportunity to participate in the inevitable... uh, a uh, forward movement of the kingdom of God. And the generation next to come is not in the back row. They haven't been born yet. That's right. That's right. Hear my heart. Yeah. Now I know that I like Jimi Hendrix and you know and you might not like Jimi Hendrix, you know. And I know that I love old country music and I think Buck Owens and Roy Clark were, you know, picking and grinning. That's wonderful. And I know you like music with people that spew a bunch of words together and, and do some kind of beat thing and scratch records. I, You know, I, I love you. But that's Romans 14 stuff. You know? That's your preference. Those are not essentials in the kingdom. And if the Holy Spirit comes... On a 70-year-old and a 17-year-old, you might express it different, but we are the generation of the people of God, of the Spirit of God right now. And don't let the enemy separate us and say, well, can you hear that? Does that make sense? All right. I love you guys, and I love being together. I look forward to this all year. Um, and uh, it's just a blessing, you know. You guys are fun to be with, and it's just good to be together. So I love you. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. You. Kevin Lilly, right now. <laughs> Kevin. Uh, Kevin has a stream. Of Jamaican, and when he talks, sometimes there's some dialect that comes out, and nobody knows what he's saying. And the words sound like English, but they're not. And uh, Kevin has the ability to make you laugh at things you probably shouldn't laugh at, and, uh, and that's one of the reasons we appreciate you so much. Uh. You know <laughs> I was going to try to get back. Yeah, all right.